Good morning again. Continuing on in our sermon series on generosity, and uh, we are considering what does it mean to live a, a whole life, just a generous lifestyle, and uh, today we're going to be focusing on generous relationships and actually really one aspect of a generous relationship. It's the aspect of forgiveness. And we're focusing on this because it's perhaps the most, in a relationship, it's perhaps the most costly, uh, the thing that requires the most generosity in a relationship would be forgiveness. And we've thought about forgiveness before as a church quite a bit. We, uh, last year, about this time, we were preaching through the Lord's Prayer, and we pray when we gather, uh, Lord, for, for, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, and considering what is that connection between our ability to receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness? And, and then uh, just this, back in June, we were preaching through the phrases of the Apostles' Creed, and we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I'm looking back over these things, and I'm thinking about them, and all I have to say is, forgiveness, man, it's hard. It's really hard. And as many times as we look at it and try to understand how can I have this heart of forgiveness that, Jesus Christ has called us to, I say, this is hard. Colossians chapter 3 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is a standard of forgiveness that is very high. Uh, so as a Christian, as we consider this this morning, this is a very important topic for us. We should be famous as Christians, as people who claim to have received forgiveness from God. We should be famous for being people who extend forgiveness in the world around us in our everyday. And um, so this is the account in our life where we have a lot of currency, in theory at least. We should have this great wealth of forgiveness to be able to extend out, yet very difficult but very important for us. If you're not a Christian this morning, and every time we gather, I know uh, there are those here who are uh, not believers or skeptical of, of faith. Uh, here's what I'll say to you this morning. One of the arguments that non-believers, skeptics, use against people of faith is they say, look, Christianity and all religion is based in faith, and my worldview, just kind of my secular worldview, is based in facts and evidence, and it's much, therefore, much more reasonable and well-reasoned and thought through than, you know, yours is just based on this ambiguous faith thing. If that's you today... I want to invite you to wrestle with what I'm going to share about the Christian understanding of forgiveness. Because from, a, a, from an agnostic or an, an uncertain about God or just an atheistic worldview, where do you come up with forgiveness? And how do you compare that to what I want to share about the Christian worldview? Because I believe, I mean, if you just, if all you have is whatever evidence or sort of scientific, sociological evidence you can find for how to live a good life. Uh, forgiveness is so hard that does it even fit that context? I don't know. And you'll have to think of your context and compare it to this. But I believe that this is very reasonable and well-reasoned considering what Jesus Christ has done and how that would prompt a Christian to live. So that's my challenge to you or my encouragement to you, I should say. Uh, so I have two points today. In this message, my first point is this, forgiveness is difficult. My second point is, forgiveness is nearly impossible. So I just want to explore those two things as we uh, look at this text this morning. Let's pray. 
Father God, we stand before you, and we do. We face a very challenging teaching from your word that Jesus taught his followers. Lord, help us to understand it, and not just understand it, Lord. We, we need you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to change our hearts that we might not just understand this, but be able to live it out. Uh, so be our teacher in this time. We commit ourselves to you. We commit this time to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, my first point, forgiveness is difficult. Jesus makes this very clear. Look at verse 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is really hard. I mean, not only do I have to forgive seven times in one day, but now Jesus is saying, you actually, you, you might have to be an initiator in this. That you need to go to that person and point out that you've been wronged. It's one thing if somebody comes to me begging forgiveness, saying, I know I've wronged you, will you please forgive me? Well, then I can consider forgiveness. But now I've got to actually talk to somebody who's offended me. Not in a, I gotcha kind of way. You know, I'm busting you on your offense against me. But in a way that can bring about the goal of forgiveness. Not only the goal, but verse 4 says, you must forgive them. And that's on top of doing this repeatedly. In Jesus' day, the rabbis taught, the, the Jewish rabbis taught, a perfect man could forgive someone up to three times in a day. That would be perfection. Jesus takes that and he doubles it and adds one. Seven times in a day. And he uses a number seven, if you, know, if you understand numbers in the Bible. Symbolically, seven is a number of completion in perfection. So seven doesn't always just mean seven. It could mean however many times it would take to complete this act of forgiveness. This is a, this is a huge calling. So it makes sense in verse 5. What do the apostles say? They, they say to the Lord, increase our faith. If this is the standard of forgiveness, if this is what forgiveness looks like, I can't do it. It's almost a joke. I mean, this is, to forgive that completely and that continually, I can't do it, need more faith, Jesus. It, it is. It's, forgiveness is difficult, but it's crucial to our faith. And this is why Jesus starts this whole thing with a warning back in verse 3. See what it says? Jesus says, watch yourselves. Watch out. Watch yourselves. My, and my dad used to use that phrase. <clears throat> Watch yourself. Just, and he would say it very just directly, and I knew that if I did not respond after he said, Watch yourself, I'd either be, I would hurt myself or enter into a situation where there was offense against the family and the whole... It, Jonathan, watch yourself. I knew what that meant. Jesus is using it, and I hear my dad's voice. And... It's, it's because unforgiveness is a disease. And it's a disease that will eat away at your life. Uh, and it, it, it will slowly destroy you, but it doesn't feel bad. Unforgiveness actually, up front, unforgiveness feels good. Unforgiveness feels like justice. I was wronged, and I'm standing for justice. Or it feels like truth. I'm standing for truth. Somebody wronged me. But it'll eat away at you. The Scottish minister of the 19th century Thomas Chalmers, he said, 
Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping another will die. Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping that another will die. And, you know, unforgiveness, it feels good up front. And honestly, forgiveness hurts. It hurts to forgive someone. And what I mean by that is this. Forgiveness is not about uh, forgetting an offense. It's not about ignoring what happened to you or ignoring the hurt, dismissing away pain. It's not pretending that it doesn't matter to you. You know, time heals all wounds. That's not forgiveness. In fact, for true forgiveness to happen, it's actually going to force you to face the pain, to face the offense. There was a wrong that was done to me, and I need to feel and embrace that. And I need to recognize the emotions inside me as I think about how I was offended and how I was hurt, how I was wrong. Then what forgiveness becomes is just choosing not to hold that debt against the other person and releasing it to God. But you actually, to do that, you have to absorb the debt. So essentially, when you've been wronged, you've been hurt. And that creates a debt. And you can either force that person to repay the debt, or you just, you have to absorb it yourself, and that hurts. Therefore, you could say pain is the currency of forgiveness. If for forgiveness to happen, is there's an exchange of pain. Now, you could make somebody pay you back. You could actively, if somebody has hurt you, you could actively hurt them back physically or emotionally or try to wrong them back or actively speak ill of them or slander them or in some way try to ruin their reputation. You could try to make it even that way. Or you could do it more subtly, privately, by rooting against them, hoping they fail, hoping that their life becomes a disaster or something because they earned that. That might somehow settle the account, but forgiveness says, Actually, there was a debt, and I'm just going to, I'm taking that debt, I'm absorbing it. But here's the beautiful thing, and that hurts. So up front, unforgiveness feels good, but long term, it will erode your life and your soul. Up front, forgiveness hurts, but long term, there's freedom. There's freedom for you, because you are no longer tied to the emotions and to the offense and the sin. You're no longer tied to the person who offended you. There's freedom in that. It sets God free. God can now be free to work in the life of that person, and you release it into his hands. Um, and that type of freedom doesn't exist with the unforgiveness. You'll never get to experience that. In fact, I mean, the unforgiveness will invade not just our emotion and our soul, but our, can affect our physical health. This is from a book uh, written by a cardiologist. It says, studies have shown that those who fail to forgive wrongs committed to them have more stress-related disorders and worse rates of cardiovascular disease than the population as a whole. Forgiveness seems to reduce the bitterness, anger, hatred, and fear that are part of grudge holding and that cause increased blood pressure and hormonal changes linked to cardiovascular disease and immune suppression. It goes on and on. They've done a bunch of studies on this. So people who harbor uh, anger and unforgiveness they can become physically ill. Now, my friend Seth is a, is a cardiologist, and I asked him, I said, is this true? He said, absolutely, in his experience, this research is totally, is completely true. 
So watch yourselves. Jesus says, watch yourselves. This, you need to do this. You need to forgive in this way. But it's difficult. So the disciples throw up their hands and they say, you got to increase my faith if I'm going to pursue this. And so that's, it's just difficult. That's my first point. Forgiveness is difficult. My second point, forgiveness is nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible. Except, and I say it's nearly impossible because Jesus gives the key here in verse 6. Jesus replies, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You just need this one small key. See, the disciples, they wanted a good thing. They wanted, they wanted their faith to be increased. And Jesus said, you don't need more faith. You just need the tiniest little bit of faith. You don't need to just conjure up more effort and more faith and this, you know, be more heroic in your relationships with people. He's saying you just need a tiny bit of faith, but your faith has to be in the right thing. It's not the quantity or the greatness of your faith. It's the object of your faith. If you believe in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you believe what Jesus accomplished and you believe in the power of God and the power of his grace, even the smallest faith in that can make things that would seem otherwise impossible a possibility in your life. That God doesn't base his action and his blessing on how good our faith is, but on how good he is. So we need to believe in him, not in ourselves. If I had to follow Jesus' teaching and I just trust my own strength, I'm going to fail. But Jesus said a tiny bit of faith in the right object is the key. This is the difference between the Christian faith and essentially all other religions and all other worldviews. All the other faith systems and belief systems are rooted in me finding meaning or, or living a moral and good life and me accomplishing something and doing something. The Christian faith uniquely is rooted in something that was accomplished by someone else, that Jesus accomplished something that I could not accomplish, and he did it for me. And he gives me something from that. He gives me forgiveness. He gives me new life. That There is no way that I could have conjured up. There is no way I could have done enough good things to do that. That is at the essence of our Christian faith. And when we put just this, this tiniest seed of faith in that in our lives, that's where these impossible things, like forgiving somebody repeatedly, are possible. And then to make it really clear, Jesus tells a story in verse 7. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after sheep. So the, the context here, Jesus said, suppose that you're a, a master and you have a servant. And, and the word here is bondservant. It's, you know, back in ancient times, there was no bankruptcy court, of course. You, if you were a debtor, if you had, had debts you could not repay, you have two choices. You can go to debtor's prison and go to jail and you just rot in jail for the rest of your life. Or... You could make yourself a servant of the person you were debted to or in exchange to someone else, and you would work off your debt. And so if you're a servant, you are required to put in your work, and then once after many weeks or years of this, then you have paid your debt, and it's fair, and you're free. So Jesus says, suppose you have a servant. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? 
Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It's so interesting how Jesus starts this story by saying, imagine that you're in charge and you have a servant. And then he flips it on and says, you're the servant. And servants should not act like masters. Servants who have a debt to pay should not come in from the field and say, I'm going to just take a break now. I'm going to be done. No, the servant has to finish serving and then rest. And that's just fair. That's just, it's self-righteous. It's, it's backwards for a servant to say, well, I should be like the master of this house. I should be able to rest when I want to rest. Because you're the one who created the debt. And he reminds them, essentially, that they are servants of God. And it's the Lord who commands us to be forgiving. And when you refuse to forgive, you become like a servant who say, well, I'm, I, I want to be the master. And what this points to, Jesus is saying, look, don't be like that. Don't be like the servant who's trying to be the master. Just put the tiniest bit of faith into the true Lord and the true master who made himself a servant. And that's Jesus. So Jesus is, is the Lord. He is, uh, he's with the Father in heaven on his heavenly throne. And he willingly takes on human flesh. Takes on the nature of a servant. Jesus taught. He said, I have come to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So Jesus came to serve, and he was obedient to serve, even to the point of death on a cross. You see, there was a debt that every human being on earth has. It's to a perfect and holy God. And, this, and when we sin and when we rebel against God, and Scripture teaches, every one of us has done this, that we've all, in our own way, have rebelled against God. Some extreme in some small things, but God is perfect in any imperfection he cannot have. So Jesus comes to us, and we can't pay that debt, but he pays it in our behalf. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He takes the punishment and the separation from God that we deserve on himself, and he pours out his blood, and he gives his life that we might receive forgiveness. He pays our debt in our place. And when you grasp that in even the smallest way, that tiny seed of that, then this impossibility of living a generously forgiving life is now possible. And it gets us out of this backward notion to see, to see the Lord who became a servant for us. Uh, so we take that. We take what Christ has done for us by faith. We receive it. And we let that now flow from us to the world around us. So we go from this place on Sunday as we gather. We're going to go and scatter throughout the week. And you'll have opportunity to extend forgiveness. Here's the great thing about forgiveness. If you want to be generously forgiving, you don't have to create the opportunities. They get created for you. Right? You don't have, if you're going to have to forgive somebody, it's not because of something you did. It's because of something an offender did to you. So I could just give you a benediction and say... Go forth from this place and be offended. <laughs> Go forth from this place and people will hurt you and you will be cheated. 
Go forth and be lied to. It's not the most inspiring benediction, but it would be accurate. So let's say this. When it happens, there's a think of Jesus. Think of the Lord who became a servant for us. But there's another practical thing that we can try that, that we need to remember that Jesus gives us here. Look at verse 3. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you. We need to remember the humanity of those who offend us. And it's very easy when we're offended. And he says, brother or sister, I mean, this could be, does this mean my, my brother or sister in faith or just any brother or sister in humanity? I, I don't know specifically here, but we just need to consider the humanity of those who offend us. And we often just dismiss people. We label people. That person's a liar. That person's a cheat. He's a gossip. She's a devil. An animal. You know, this is... And Jesus said, remember that your offender is a brother or a sister. That person is a broken human being. The theologian Miroslav Volf, he said this. He says, forgiveness flounders... Because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. You catch that? Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of human, even, if I, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, when somebody, if you're not going to offer forgiveness to somebody, it's usually based in the fact that you feel superior to someone else. So you're offended and you, you feel, oh, I would have never done that. And, and it, it can cause us to really you know, label and look down on the offender. You know, someone lies to you. You're a liar. And then when you lie, you say, well, yeah, that was wrong, but it's complicated. You know, I'm, a, I'm a complicated human being. So there's you know, more to it. But that person's a liar. You know, somebody has too much to drink. That person's a drunk. Well, you had a little too much to drink. Yeah, but I had a tough week. And I don't usually do that. And it was an accident. And I didn't realize how strong this was. Um, yeah, we're all complicated human beings. We need to remember when we are offended, the, uh, the humanity of the offender. Listen, Jesus had, to, Jesus had to identify with our humanity to serve us and to give his life for us. So if we can keep that framework, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not, like, you know, it's still difficult. It's still nearly impossible. But as we put our faith in him, that seed of faith, uh, we can practice generous forgiveness. Uh, can, can I just pray for you? I want to or sort of guide us in a little prayer here. Um, if you just bow your head or close your eyes, whatever is comfortable for you. As we talk about forgiveness and as we consider these things, I know that all kinds of offenses, major or minor, and, and even deep hurts can come to mind. And, and as those things come to mind where you need to extend forgiveness, maybe just you could pray something like this. Say, Father God, help me to have faith in you. Transform my heart that I might offer forgiveness as you offered it to me. And if there's people who come to mind or specific situations, just... Commit those to the Lord silently in your heart. Ask him to do the work on you. And as we consider these things, you, things may also come to mind where you need 
forgiveness. You could pray something like this. Father God, forgive me for the way I've offended others. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. Father, I, I can't, I've done too much wrong. I can't pay this debt myself. I trust in Jesus and that he paid it for me on the cross, Lord. And that was complete and good, Lord. And I receive it by faith. May that forgiveness, I receive it by faith, Lord. May that forgiveness change me, Lord. Change my heart. Help me to follow you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.